um, just like Christy shared, if, uh, if those statistics are true, that almost half of marriages end in divorce, what that means for us in the room tonight is this, is that for a lot of us in the room, and maybe even the majority of us in the room, we've been affected by divorce in some way. Maybe it was a parent uh, relationship, maybe it was grandparents, maybe it was close family friends, maybe it was extended family, but I would assume that a lot of us, and, and my parents are still married, but I've got extended family, I've got close family friends I grew up with who've gone through this, so I've been exposed to it, I've seen it, I've had friends very affected by it, and so uh, I think that you can identify that as well, and I want to tell you what the goal of tonight is, okay? The goal of tonight in talking about this topic of divorce is very, very very simple. Here's the goal. I want you to leave tonight knowing what is true about divorce according to this book. That's what I want. That's the goal. Like, I just want you to leave knowing the truth. And here's my hope for you, okay? Even though marriage for most of us in the room is probably years and years away, I pray that what you're going to hear tonight will help to set you up in the future for a very healthy and a very godly marriage. So let's do this. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read what Jesus has to say about divorce Um, from the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. You can follow along. Here's what he says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Adultery. Now, these are some hard verses to understand if you don't know what in the world is going on around the time of Jesus and what he's referencing in these verses. So let let me kind of paint this picture, okay? Jesus, in verse 31, makes a reference to a certificate of divorce. Now, this is important because in the Old Testament, you guys remember Moses, right? The old guy with the staff, and for some reason we always think he has a beard, um, but Moses in the Old Testament... When Moses was leading the Israelites, leading God's people, divorce was a big problem, okay? Um, You had guys going out and divorcing their wives for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Like, they'd get mad at their woman or want to have a fling with another woman. And so, it was just kind of like, hey, we're divorced now. I'm going to go do what I want to do, okay? So, in the Old Testament, here's what God did because this was such a problem. God instituted a regulation through Moses to uphold the importance and the sanctity of marriage. Now, this regulation was a certificate of divorce. Here's what this certificate forced a guy to do that wanted to divorce his wife back in this time. What it forced a man to do, and man, you can identify with this, right, because... This requires work. It it required a man to actually sit down and write out a certificate and explain to his woman how she had been acting crazy and wrong and indecent and how her conduct was unbiblical and ungodly. Like the man had to sit down and write all of this out and then go present it to his wife so that she would understand why he would even suggest that they end their marriage and get a divorce. Okay, this is what God did through Moses. So in verse 31, Jesus is looking at these religious people, looking at these people listening to him teach this day, and he brings this certificate up. Now, here's why he brings it up. 
it wasn't so that Jesus could remind the men of his day that divorce is easy and it's no big deal. Like, just take your woman a certificate. That's it. Jesus brought this up because just as in the time of Moses, divorce is a problem in the lives of his listeners. Okay, what 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 God had done to uphold the importance and sanctity of marriage, these Jewish people had taken and they had used as an excuse to again go and divorce my wife for any reason I want and I'll just give her her certificate so it's okay, right? So I'm doing what God told me to do. It must be fine. Again, what have I been saying this whole series? That Jesus is not trying to get at the actions of people. He's trying to get at their what? At their heart. Jesus is trying to point out a heart issue. Your behavior, yeah, it kind of looks like it's lining up, but you still don't get it. You still don't get it. You're blowing it here. You're messing this thing up. And so here in this passage, Jesus calls these men out on their behavior, and he tells them something really interesting. And here's what he says. He goes, okay, guys, unless you divorce your wife for any other reason than sexual immorality, you're making your wife become an adulterer. And then he says, not only that, but any other guy that gets involved with her, you're making him an adulterer too. Now, I want to tell you why Jesus said this, and the reason is very, very simple. Here's why. Jesus' point here in these verses is that the the kind of divorce that happens just because a guy gives the girl a certificate and, and, you know, wants to go do his own thing. Jesus is trying to make the point here to these men that in the eyes of God, that divorce is bogus. It's bogus. Like it's not even real. Like God doesn't even see that as something like substantial, something real. God looks at that and goes, well, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's bogus. I'm not even going to recognize that as being what I was talking about. So according to God, this man and this woman who get divorced for bogus reasons, in God's eyes, these people are still married. Like that divorce doesn't really accomplish anything. And so Jesus is saying to these guys listening, he's going, listen, just because you gave her her certificate, it, it doesn't mean anything. In God's eyes, you're still married, and because you're still married, you're forcing her to go after other men. She's an adulterer, and any other guy that gets involved with her, he's an adulterer too, because in the eyes of God, you're still married. Jesus, he's trying to press in to the hearts of his people. He's trying to tell them that just because their outside behavior might look okay, it doesn't mean that everything is okay with your heart. Your heart can still be really bad, even though your outside behavior looks okay. Listen, here's Jesus's goal in these verses. And then I want to teach you some other things about divorce tonight. Jesus wants his listeners here in this sermon, just like he wants us tonight to understand a couple of things. And here's what he wants them to get. He wants them to understand that marriage is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. Just like I said about sex last week, sex was God's idea. He made it. Guess whose idea marriage was? God's. It's a big deal to him. This is his idea. And Jesus is trying to make the point here, husbands and wives, you should take this very, very seriously. Jesus wants his listeners to hear that divorce is a big deal to God. It is a very big deal to God. And and why? Because divorce happens when sin creeps into marriages and sin. What is the consequence of sin? It's death. So what is divorce? Divorce is the death of a marriage. Divorce is the result of sin creeping into a marriage and killing a marriage. Divorce is a big deal 
to God, and here's the deal, a decision to end a marriage according to the Bible should never be made impulsively, should never be made for bogus, unbiblical reasons. This is what Jesus is trying to get at in this passage. Now, as a pastor, here's one of the questions that I tend to get when it comes to divorce. And again, maybe you're here tonight, you've experienced this, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, grandparents, and maybe this is your question. I get this one a lot. Um, James, what does the Bible say about reasons for people getting divorced? Like, does the Bible teach that you can never get divorced? Does the Bible teach that it's okay sometimes? And if it does, then what are the reasons behind that? And I think that's a really, really great question. And the reason it's a great question is because, um, for instance, I grew up in a church that told people you don't get divorced ever for any reason or you go to hell, right? Um, and then there's also churches out there just being honest, that say, uh, you know what? You're giving money. You're giving money. Um, you want to do what? You know what? God's okay with that. You, if you're unhappy, you do what you want, right? So there's, there's churches out there that teach one extreme, churches out there that teach the other. You get divorced for any reason you want. Churches out there that teach no way ever. You go to hell for that kind of thing, right? Here's what I want you to hear tonight, students. Both of those answers are wrong and unbiblical. Both of them are very wrong, and they're very unbiblical. So for the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I want us to talk about what the Bible says about why it's okay and when it's okay for a marriage to end. And again, the reason I want to do this is because I want you to know it's true. I want you to know it's true from this book. Before I give you these reasons, these grounds for divorce, I want to say a couple of things. Um, First off, I want to say this. We should never take this topic lightly. Um, We're dealing with people's lives here. So if you're taking notes tonight, what I don't want you to do is to go home with your your notepad and post it on your fridge and go, I'm going to hang on to this. So just in case any of these happens one day, like I can get out, right? Like it's not, it's not like a a physics problem. It's not something that it's just like, okay, that happened, that happened, that, okay, we can be done now. These are people's lives that we're talking about. And in these cases of marriage and divorce, this stuff is, is, is ugly at times. And it's not always easy. And just because this stuff happens, it doesn't always mean that the towel should be thrown in. So, so I want you to hear that first and foremost. I want you to hear also that the Bible never teaches that for any reason that divorce is required. Okay? I want you to hear that. These reasons, these grounds I'm going to give you tonight at times, make divorce permissible. But the Bible never teaches that in any case is divorce required, okay? So I want you to hear that from me. One other thing I want you to hear is this, and I'm gonna give you these. God, as the Bible says, hates divorce. God does not hate the people involved in divorce. I want you to hear that from me. You wanna know why God hates divorce so much? It's because of what it does to the people involved in that marriage, Ask anybody who's been divorced if they hate divorce. They hate divorce. You know why? Because it destroys families. It destroys kids. It destroys relationships. It is sin at its finest, killing something beautiful. And God hates that. He hates that. He hates for anybody to go through that. So I want you to hear that tonight. Here we go. If you're taking notes, biblically, what are grounds for divorce? My heart is a pastor. My heart as a pastor is even in spite of some of these men that 
husbands and wives would fight for their marriages, that they would work through difficulties and do whatever it takes to see God honored in and through their marriages realistically. I know that doesn't always happen, so let me give you these. Okay, first off, you can write this down, and we're going to throw this list up here. Um, let me give credit first, okay? Um, there's a pastor in Seattle named Mark Driscoll, uh, Mars Hill Church, who did a lot of work on this, on marriage divorce, and he's put this list together. Um, so I want to give him credit for that as we talk through these given biblical references, um, just so you know where I got this list from, okay? First, death, right? Um, Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 7, tell us that if somebody dies, if a husband or a wife dies... That at that point, the marriage relationship is over. It's finished. It's done. So if a husband or wife wants to go get remarried, which my wife, by the way, has told me I was never uh, able to go do if she died. Like, dude, you're just stuck the rest of your life, single. Um, thanks, babe. Love you, too. Um, but if someone dies, the husband or wife, they're, they're free to remarry. At that point, the marriage relationship is done, right? And you know, semantics, whatever, a divorce has happened because of natural causes. In in wedding ceremonies that I do, I always have that little thing in there that says what? Until death do us part. Um, I've actually had somebody ask before to have that removed and like, no, we can't, we can't do that. I might not be the guy for your wedding, right? So um, number two, number two is adultery. Adultery, Deuteronomy 22 And Matthew 5, um, where we just read, here's the deal. According to the scripture, according to the scripture, if a husband or a wife commits adultery, there could be grounds for biblical divorce. So um, some of you guys, you know what this is like. Some of you guys have moms, dads who have done this. And uh, I've had family members who have done this. I've had friends, close friends who have done this. They go out. They're married, they sleep with somebody else, and uh, the marriage ends. Again, divorce in this case, listen to me, divorce is not required if adultery happens, but it is permissible. And if two people continue to go on in their marriage in spite of adultery, it's a long road. There's got to be a lot of forgiveness. Trust has got to happen over a long period of time. And the person who has done this needs to have a lot of patience with patience with the person that they've wronged. So uh, adultery is one. N- number three, um, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, immorality, Matthew five, Matthew 19. In those verses, if you read those in the original Greek language, Jesus uses the word there pornea. Okay. So he says, if anybody divorces their wife, except for pornea, it's where we get our word for pornography from. Now, this word speaks to all kinds of sexual immoralities that fall outside of just adultery. Okay, now, again, I want you to hear me. When this happens, there may be, there may be, may be grounds for divorce. Maybe. Now, what would fall under the category of this? Let me give you a few. Pornography addictions. Pornography addictions. Um, Going online and, and... having inappropriate conversations with people of the opposite sex as a married person, Um, keeping a secret life of sexual sin. Uh, This could fall under um, this this, uh, reason of sexual immorality, this topic of sexual immorality. Um, That's another one according to the Bible. Um, Number four, a non-Christian quits the marriage. And that can be found in 1 Corinthians 7. So if you have a husband and a wife who get married and one of them is a believer and one of them is not, right? 
Or maybe it's a case where two sinful people who don't know Jesus get married and one of them comes to know Jesus. And then the unbelieving uh, spouse decides, I don't want anything to do with this, right? Like you're trying to drag the kids to church. You won't quit preaching Jesus at me. And the unbelieving spouse decides, man, I'm out. I'm taking off. I'm leaving. Well, according to the Bible, there can be grounds for divorce if the unbelieving spouse decides to quit the marriage. Okay, there can be. Um, five and six, and I'll hit these really quick. Five, this sounds weird, but I'll explain. Treacherous or treasonous betrayal. In Malachi chapter two, um, this is the passage where the writer talks about how God hates divorce. Okay, that's that famous passage from the Bible. Here's what was happening during this time. You had Jewish people, believers in God, going out and marrying foreign women who worship false gods. And the problem with that, the problem with that was God told them not to do that. Don't go out, marry foreign women who worship other gods than me. Okay, well, they did it anyway. And here is the reason. Because those chicks were hot, right? I mean, they were like smoking hot. Now, guys, listen to me. Here's what happened. These Jewish people married those hot chicks. And guess what happened next? They got married and they didn't like them anymore. They didn't like them anymore. These guys married a beautiful woman and they figured out in the middle of their marriage that... Man, hot chicks are crazy sometimes, right? And so um, they ended up not liking them. So here's how these men responded. Are you ready? What they started to do was to treat these women in very abusive and harmful ways. They started betraying them, the treachery, treason. They started abusing these women in hopes that they would push these women out of the marriage and they could be freed up to go marry other women again. So listen to me. Here's what I want you to hear. In those cases, abusive cases, cases where a spouse is treating a spouse in a harmful, destructive manner, there may be, and I hope you hear me saying these words to you, okay? There may be grounds for divorce. Maybe, maybe. And the last one is this, hardness of heart, hardness of heart. In Matthew chapter 19, um, Jesus even says to his listeners there that the reason God allowed you to divorce in the first place was because of hardness of heart. Here's what hardness of heart is. It's simply when one spouse refuses to give anything to the marriage at all, whether they refuse to forgive the spouse for any wrongdoing. It's when they put all of the marital problems on one spouse and don't take any responsibility. It's when the marriage needs help and that spouse refuses help. Um, I'll give you a picture of this. I I have um, a family member who just a few months ago went through a horrific, ugly, bloody divorce. Horrible. And she did everything she could do to save that marriage. Everything. Her husband had committed adultery, committed sexual immorality. He was an alcoholic. Um, He refused to take any uh, any kind of uh, responsibility for any wrongdoing. He refused to go to counseling. He refused to spend time with his daughters. He would not work on the marriage. This is hardness of heart. This is hardness of heart. This is what Jesus is is talking about here. Now, listen to me. When that happens, there may be, maybe, grounds for biblical divorce. Maybe. Okay? Now, here's the big question when we look at this list. Who gets to decide if those things have taken place? That's the big question. And here would be my response. 
not husbands and wives. Not husbands and wives. Um, in the Bible, in places like 1 Peter chapter 5 and in Hebrews 13, you'll find passages that clearly teach that leaders in the church, pastors and elders, those in spiritual leadership positions, those who have spiritual authority over the lives of people, that those people are supposed to provide oversight in cases like this. So in other words, if a woman or a man feel like some of these things have happened in their marriage and they're contemplating ending that marriage, what they need to do is come to a pastor, an elder, a spiritual leader and sit down and have a very honest conversation so that that spiritual leader can determine if any of those things have actually happened and if there are grounds biblically for divorce. That's who gets to decide. I love what Mark Driscoll says um, when he talks about this list. He says, you don't get to umpire your own life. You don't get to umpire your own life. So you need to find somebody, a godly leader who you can trust to go to and have these conversations. So, okay, as a high school student, you're sitting here and you're going, James, you're melting my brain with all this. I don't divorce, whatever. Okay, why do I need to know this? I'm 16 years old. Um, Here's why this is important for you to learn now as a high school student. And here's how this applies to your life right where you are. It applies to your life because you as a teenager, you need to, as you move through the future, you need to be very, very careful about who you pursue to be that person that you're going to marry one day. And again, you go, I'm 16. I'm not thinking about being married. Let me say it like this. You need to be very, very careful as a teenager who you date. And and here's why. Because the purpose of dating, the purpose of dating is to find the person that you're going to marry. That's the reason you date, right? So here's what I want to say. If you're caught up tonight, guys or girls, in going out and dating all the wrong kinds of people, here's what could happen in your life. You could marry the wrong kind of person, the the kind of person that you really don't want to be marrying, and one day you could find yourself in a really tough situation and you could possibly be staring divorce in the face as a real possibility in your life. And here's what I want you to hear tonight. I don't want that for you, and God surely doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for you. You need to be careful about who you date because dating leads to marriage, and you need to be careful about who you marry. Um, A couple of years ago, I did a very short two-week series called The Dating Game. And you guys might remember this, some of you that were around. And uh, just for a, a few minutes, I want to give you some of the stuff that I taught in that series so that you could leave tonight as a high school kid knowing what you should look for in someone you're dating and who you, or what you should look for in someone that you're going to marry one day. So I'm, I'm going to be a gentleman. I'm going to be a gentleman. And ladies, um, I'm going to talk to you first, okay? Here's my advice. If you're taking notes, ladies, write this down, big, bold letters. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car. Write it on your forehead so you see it every day. Here's my advice to you. Here's my advice to you, ladies. And you've heard me say this before. Ladies, don't date little boys. Don't date little boys. Listen to me and look at me, everybody. Look at me. What do I mean when I say little boys? Here's what I mean when I say little boys. I'm talking about... Guys, listen to me. 
I'm talking about immature, arrogant, prideful, treat you like crap, talk to you like trash, don't love Jesus, high school little boys. Listen, listen to me. All the guys that are in here laughing right now, you're probably who I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. I love you. I love you. That's just funny. So if you laugh, that's okay. Um, Ladies, listen to me. Listen to me. You need to stay away from those guys. Why? Because if you make it a habit to date guys like this now, you could marry a guy like this. And if you marry a guy like this, you're going to have a really, really tough marriage one day. And divorce could be a very real possibility for you. Ladies, listen to me. I'm going to read a passage to you that describes the kind of guy that you should want to date and marry. This is describing a husband. Women, this is who you should look for in a guy. Listen to this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Girls, first off, you need to look for a guy who is considerate of you and tries to understand you. This is what the Apostle Peter is writing here. You need to look for a guy who considers your feelings right? Who, who doesn't make everything about him all the time, who tries to understand your feelings, your emotions, those kind of things. You need to choose a guy and look for a guy who is considerate of your wants and likes. Do, do you know a battle I never fight with my wife? I don't really ever fight over music in the car and I don't ever fight over movies we watch. You know why? Because those are stupid things to argue about. And for me, I want my woman just even in those small ways to know, I love you, I consider you, it's yours, whatever. Have the remote control, right? She's gracious enough on Sunday afternoons to let me watch the Falcon, so we're good. Um, but man, a couple of years ago, and I'll tell you, I took my wife to a ballet, okay? You ever been to a ballet? Listen, man, I'm a sports guy, all right? Um, I took my wife to see Dracula at the ballet, She thought it was the most fantastic thing I've ever done for her. Halfway through at the intermission, I looked at my wife and I said, can you tell me what's going on? Like I literally, and she hands me the program so I can read the story. Like I had no idea. Girls, look for a guy who considers your wants and likes. And and girls, listen to me. This ties into what we covered last week. Girls, look for a guy who considers you physically. Girls, if you're dating a guy right now or trying to date a guy right now who insists on having his hands all over you all the time, get out of that. Get out of that. Um, You need a guy who considers you physically and who wants to honor you for the woman that you are and who God created you to be. You need to to look for a guy who considers you like that. Um, This passage also says you need to look for a guy who honors you as a weaker vessel. That's not a verse to imply or suggest that you need to look for a guy who treats you like he's beneath you. Um, Again, the Bible, if you read it in the original language, the Bible says that guys should treat their women like porcelain, with gentleness and with care. You need to look for a guy that treats you like that. If you're trying to date a guy or dating a guy right now, talks to you like crap, treats you like crap, ladies, get out, get out. Um, this passage also teaches this, and I think this is huge. You need to look for a guy who treats you like a daughter of God. This passage says that you are a co-heir of grace with guys. So, so what does that mean? 
It means that one day, whoever you marry, ladies, your husband's going to stand before God and answer for the way he treated God's daughter. You need a guy who gets that. You need a guy that that sparks some motivation in. Women, you want to look for a godly guy? Go look for a guy who understands. One day I'll stand before God and I'll, I'll answer his questions about how I treated this girl that he created with a specific purpose in mind, who he loves more than I ever could. That's the kind of guy you need to look for. Um, guys, guys, here's my advice for you. And I tell you this all the time. Some of you guys already know where I'm going. Here's my advice for you. Don't date crazy. That's my advice for you. <laughs> but listen to me, and, and we're going to move through this quick. Um, if you date a crazy chick, you could marry a crazy chick. And man, let me tell you something. You marry a crazy chick, you are going to have a rough life and a rough rough marriage. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that it's better to live in the desert or on the roof of your house than in a, in, in the same house as a nagging and quarrelsome woman, right? It's like, dude, you marry a crazy chick. Even God feels sorry for you. Like that's what the Bible teaches. Like, bro, I, I tried to tell you, don't go down that road. Guys, don't date crazy. Let me give you a couple of passages real quick that describe the type of girl you need to be dating and one day marrying, fellas. Listen to me. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And Peter is talking to women here. Guys, this is what you should look for. Don't let your adorning be external, braiding of your hair, putting on of gold jewelry, clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. So first off, guys, don't go after that girl who puts all of her hope and all of her stock in how she looks. What's on the outside? And, and I'll tell you quickly why. Because one day you marry that girl, you broke all the time. All right? Your wallet is empty. Let, let me be honest with you. Your wallet is empty because she needs clothes, she needs makeup. Because she's bought in, man, to this whole idea that who I am, it's all about what everybody sees. I mean, you're going to be really broke when she starts getting older because she's going to want to tighten up everything that's fallen over the years. But listen, you're going to have to get a second job, bro. Like, don't go there. All right? Don't go there. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 gives us a picture of the woman who focuses on the inner self. Here's what it says. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Here's what the writer of Proverbs 31 says. It says that a woman that you should be pursuing, a godly woman, she's going to open her mouth and wisdom is just going to fall out. Like she's going to speak and people are going to care what she has to say. When she speaks, people are going to listen. Like it's not going to be that, oh my God, I love the Jersey Shore. Right, girl? Like, right? It's not going to be that. She's going to open her mouth. <laughs> listen. She's going to open her mouth and wisdom and intelligence are going to fall out. The Bible says kindness will be on her tongue. 
You've seen that movie Mean Girls, right? This is the opposite. This is the opposite kind of woman that you see in that movie. A godly woman who, guys, you should be pursuing to date. Listen to me. That woman, she has no reason to talk bad about other girls that she might seem as a threat to her. When she opens her mouth, it's about kindness and encouraging and building up other people. And the Bible says that when this type of woman, when she becomes a wife and a mother, her husbands and her kids will praise her in the streets. Guys, look at me. Go after that kind of girl. Look at me. I know she's hot, bro. She's not always going to be hot. And if you marry crazy, hotness goes out the window. Go after the godly woman, man, who focuses on who she is in, in the inner parts of her heart and who she is before God. Not only that, here's the last thing, and then we'll pray, and we're going to go to groups. No worship at the end tonight. Um, guys, you need to look for a girl who doesn't put all of her hope in you. That's a problem these days, you know that? I think one of the things that Hollywood has unfairly done to us guys um, is they have created a lot of unhealthy and unrealistic expectations when it comes to men because of movies like The Notebook, right? Here's what happens though. Here's what happens. Listen to me. Girls, girls, you watch that movie and you're like, I just want a Ryan Gosling. But look, you're like, man, no, listen. Listen, here's what you do. You watch that and you go, man, I want that guy who's going to be my Prince Charming. He's going to come in. He's going to rescue me. He's going to be my everything. He's going to understand what's going through my brain when I don't even say a word. Like, that's the guy I want. (laughs) Girls, look at me. Look at me. And guys, look at me. Girls, if that's what you're waiting on, you're going to be waiting a long time. You, You know why? Because that's garbage. There is no guy out there who will ever be that for you. And do you know why? Because there's only one man who can be that for you, and his name is Jesus. That's why. Listen to me. Women, guys, we're going to let you down. We're not going to be the solution to all your problems. We're never going to be able to read your minds. There are times where we're going to hurt you, times where we will fail you. Girls, put your hope in God. He is the one who will complete you, be your everything, know what you need all the time. And he is the only one that can do that for you. Do not put some expectation on some poor guy that he can never live up to. Guys, look at me. You need to go after a girl who understands that that's true. Do you hear me? You don't want those kind of expectations put on you. If you go after that girl who doesn't get that and puts all of her hope, all of her eggs in your basket, you're going to have a tough marriage. Here's what I want to do for the rest of our time tonight. And uh, again, we're not going to close with worship like we normally do. Um, We're going to close with prayer and and we're going to get you out of here. Okay, um, we're going to have a different prayer time, though, and this is going to be really short because I know it's 820, and I want you guys to be able to go talk with your small group leaders. Here's what I want to do, two things. I want you to pray, and I'm going to pray and, and wrap this up. Um, I want you to pray tonight that God would help you to become the man and woman I described. Okay? Secondly, and this is weird, right? And this is hokey and cheesy. It's okay, but I don't care. I want us to stop tonight and pray for that man or that woman 
who one day we're going to marry. Um, I, I've got a little baby girl. I've already been praying. Three months old. That's weird, but I'm doing it because I feel like I need to so I don't kill somebody one day. Um, I've already been praying. I've already been praying. God, bring her a godly, godly man who will love her and lead her well. That's been my prayer. Um, I want you to stop and pray. I, I think when you start praying for that person, your perspective on who that person needs to be changes. I really do. So I would encourage you to start that tonight. If tonight's the first time, and make that a habit. Make that a practice in your daily prayer time. Um, seek the Lord and ask him to bring that person, all right? So I, I want to do that. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. I know this is different from what we usually do. Um, so take just a minute. Just pray that prayer in your seat. God, help me to be that man, that woman that James described tonight. Girls, I just want you to pray. God, help me to put my hope in you, not in some guy. God, help me to put my hope in you, not in outward beauty, things that one day will fade and pass away. But God, help me to put my hope in you and in you alone. God, help me. God, to be the woman who spends my time developing my inner self, God, my, my heart for you, my heart for people. Just pray that. Guys, pray that God would protect your heart and protect your brain. Pray that God would help you to be that man who loves him more than anything. Help him. Or pray and ask God to help you to be that man who's considerate and understanding of the girls that you're going to date and the woman you'll marry one day. Pray and ask him to help you to be that man who honor women, how to treat them as, as porcelain with tender care and gentleness. Guys, pray and ask God to help you to start treating girls like they're actually his daughters. Pray that for yourself. take just a minute right now and I just want you to pray and this might seem weird and I know you don't even know who this person is but stop and pray for that person you'll marry one day girls pray that God would bring a guy into your life like we talked about tonight guys pray that God would bring a girl into your life like we talked about tonight pray for that person Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus, God, who makes all this possible. God, not only in our relationships now as teenagers, God, but in our future marriages one day, God, we just want you to be honored. God, I pray that over these students. God, that they would love Jesus, that they would know Jesus deeply. God, and seek to marry someone, to date someone, God, who does those same exact things. God, I pray that godly marriages, healthy marriages, God, would be the norm for the students sitting in this room, God, not the exception. God, we trust you for that. We love you. Help us, God, to pursue you above everything else that life has to offer. Lord, we love you so much, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.